episode 311 of the Global from Asia podcast. This interesting story of the first COVID case in Indonesia and the, the way society treats that. Let's do this. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Hope you all are having a fabulous Tuesday morning. It is a Tuesday morning show, 10 a.m. Hong Kong time. We try to get these shows out every single week up to episode 311 for you listeners some people that don't listen to a lot often to the show are like you're just like having this conversation with with me i don't even know who you are so somebody told me the other day i don't know i just kind of picture myself with some of the regular listeners i know and uh you know in your earbuds i really appreciate that and i hope the others enjoy our little preview you know just been my my son is rollerblading now can you believe this watching him fall like but he's pretty good he's falls and he gets back up but they even have butt pads knee pads hand pads elbow pads it's like everything and i had an argument with my wife and her chinese family because i said when i was your age i used to have some used skates that i had to borrow and then i didn't have anything and i would get cut and scraped and fall and you know that rash you know you fall on that pavement it would like kind of like I don't know, you know, you might know what I'm talking about. I think Miles needs that, but I am overvoted here in the Chinese family. So, anyway, this week's show is an interesting one. I read about this in the South China Morning Post, SCMP, and it was pretty cool. I could get through to Ratri, and she shared pretty openly. It was an amazing conversation. It's a pretty long one, too. So, I hope you enjoyed uh she's really you know an amazing artist and we really had a good connection and a conversation and her and her sister mom and her family just went through what already would have been a nightmare going through being going through covid but uh the whole experience of the family but then it also somehow names got leaked social media attacks it's uh, it's insane. So she's really brave to be out there publicly, and she has a pretty good new mission in life. And like I've been saying on previous shows, you know, let's, let's use this nightmare to uh, transform ourselves, our businesses, our personal lives, and more. So we have a little treat for you. A little bit less business, more about this COVID and the experience of being one the first ones in the family and social media attacks and more. So let's let's tune in. And then after all give you all an update about my covid uh, post covid last couple months after quarantine here in china i've given you some updates but i'll, I'll kind of catch you up if you're interested in my little personal updates but let's tune into the interview do you enjoy what's going on here at the global from asia podcast and you want to contribute more and get more in the scenes behind the scenes with me and some of the guests and others in the uh, in the community gfavip.com is the place to do just that we have regular private calls, forums, online courses, special deals, as well as anything we can give you first or special dibs, of course, to our events when they do restart. I would love to see you on the inside. Application only, gfavip.com. All right. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to listen to another Global From Asia 
podcast. This one is a special edition, I would say. I'm really happy to make this connection with Ratri. And Ratri is a artist. And uh, I, think, I feel like we're also artists here at the Global Media Show. And she's went through quite a quite a, a huge transition in her in her life, as well as many many people listening, myself included. And I had was lucky enough to run across your article in South China Morning Post about your um, you know your you being one of the first cases in in Indonesia with COVID, and and now you're you're coming out of that and coming out with a new kind of like a new person and a new uh, a new way of thinking. Right? Uh, it's it's great to have you on, Rotary. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, just go through your bio really quickly. You're a, a producer and a cultural manager with history and uh, working performing arts, global arts festivals, and nonprofit cultural organizations. You like to lead, produce, and engage in local and international collaboration, as well as multilateral exchange and cooperation for arts and cultural projects for sustaining significance. So that's that's quite a bit of. Uh, achievements you have there so um would that well cover it or do you want to add a little bit more about your background and what you do yeah well so yeah i started um well i i i I danced a lot as i was little and i wanted to be a dancer but then um we were living in canada then in my early teenage life and thought that uh and then i i could see like a path of being a dancer as a career but then we moved back to Indonesia, and I learned that um, here uh, in Indonesia, like it was, it's still really difficult to to live as a dancer professionally. But then I saw another side of of the industry, um, which is the management and the production side of it, uh, and uh, that is really lacking that structure in Indonesia, in in Indonesian performing arts scene. So then I decided that uh, that was I was really interested in it. But also since I was little, because I was dancing a lot of Indonesian traditional dances, and I had the chance to perform many of our traditional dances in Canada, and I saw the reaction of the Canadians, and they were really appreciative of our of our culture. And since then, what's in my mind was I wanted to um, promote and help the production and then the marketing of Indonesian arts and culture. And mainly the focus for me is, uh, by through performing arts. And so just from, from, from that, having that dream as I was little, uh, to be a cultural attache for Indonesia, I started working, um, at the Indonesian dance festival, which is an, the only, the one and only international contemporary dance festival. And that's how my career started as an arts manager. And now I, I become a producer and I produce a lot of work, um, that has, um, how do you say like a social activism aspect to it, uh, as part of the storytelling. And I feel really, happy when I can produce works and and collaborating with people of different backgrounds, cultural and identity wise, um, and telling stories that would otherwise not be told or difficult to to be told experiences of people coming from different backgrounds. Um, And so, yeah, I've involved myself in different productions uh, i'm not really concerned now of the medium so i'm into dance theater uh, i'm also program manager of uh, the indonesian dance festival but i also produce film 
So what's in it for me is not really the medium of the art, but the, but the, the story, what the story is telling. Yeah. Which is, you know, I think storytelling is, is one of the most important things in, in the modern world or any, anytime in art or in business or in life. So it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's a very important skill. <laughs> um, so it's really nice to get to know you, Rotary. And, and um, of course, we're diving into this, this traumatic story you went through um, recently. Um, from what I read in the article, you, you know, you were one of the first uh, to, to, in Indonesia, right, to be um, diagnosed or what, I don't know, mm-hmm. tested for this, uh, for the COVID. So how, how, can you take us to that moment when it happened or what was yeah. the feeling or? Yes, it was a really strange day. Um, so it was March 2nd, 2020. And um, I had just returned to Indonesia for about two weeks. So my, my residency right now is actually in Vienna, in Austria. And I came home to Jakarta um, for a holiday, for a six-week holiday to be with my family and friends. Um and then I actually started feeling unwell uh, just three days after I landed in Jakarta. And I thought I was just catching a cold, like a flu, a normal flu. Uh, and on top of it, that my jet lag was kicking in. So I felt extremely tired. I really just needed to get to bed that day, that afternoon. And thinking that if I can take a, a few hours of nap, that I would wake up feeling fine again but I woke up still not feeling fine. And I told my mother that day that I I want to go to a doctor because in Vienna during the winter time in since starting in December and January, I've I've caught the flu a few times and I didn't want to risk catching another one in Jakarta while I'm on this short holiday. So we went to the doctor and I got myself checked. Um, But at that time, I really only had like, regular flu symptoms so the doctor um, identified that I had um, throat a slight throat inflammation and then my my body temperature was only about 37 degrees point something so it wasn't a major fever Uh, but he gave me some medicines and just told me to take it and then to rest at home which was what I did but for the next five days um I was feeling constantly just weak and tired that I knew my, my head was telling me that I needed to, uh, to rest in bed for a few days, which is what I did. And, and what I felt was I couldn't really taste the food I was eating. So my body was just functioning like, okay, I need to eat now three times a day, but I couldn't really taste the food. And my body temperature was going um, up and down between 36 to 37 um, 0.5 um, degrees Celsius maximum, so which is which is really nothing. Um, in the on on the other hand, my sister started developing really bad, like some more severe symptoms. So she was coughing so much. She had really really high fever, and her body was like shivering a lot, and she also had diarrhea. So. Me and her, we went to a hospital finally together to get ourselves tested. We both got our, our blood tested as well and both came out um, uh, that we had some virus, virus infection. 
viral infection in, in our blood. Um, but nobody identified this as anything. Uh, so we came home and my doctor told me, you'll be fine. You've had the fever now for four or five days. Take these medicines and in two days you will be fine, which was exactly what happened to me. Within two days, I was fine. I was working. I was meeting friends. Um, I was running around Jakarta. On the other hand, my sister stayed sick. By this time, she would already been in a state of fever for almost 10 days. And at that time, also, my mother became sick. She had a fever for three days, uh, but she had different symptoms than my sister. Anyway, to cut it short, I took them both to the hospital. Now for my sister the second time, for my mother the first time. And my mother was diagnosed with um, typhus and my sister with bronchopneumonia. And immediately the doctor requested them to, um, to, uh, to stay at the hospital, to be hospitalized. And I went home. We didn't think about anything. Um, however, we have an aunt uh, in Vienna who is my mother's older sister. And by that time, Italy was already, I believe, in a lockdown situation. And Vienna was going to start their lockdown. So she was very concerned. And she was the one who kept encouraging us for my sister Sita to request uh, to get uh, the COVID-19 test at the hospital. Because my, my, my auntie kept saying, you know, if the two of you... Um, are infected with the coronavirus, you will recover, you will be fine, but we need to take care of your mother because she's mm-hmm. older, you know, she could um, be in, in a worse situation. So that's what we did. My sister was very active. She asked the doctor to get tested and our, our family, everybody encouraged us too. But the doctor said they don't have the means and the capacity to do this. Um, and then the next day, my sister was informed by um, a dance community in Malaysia because my sister is also an active uh, dance and dance trainer in the in the Latin dance community, and they're all in touch with each other. Um, so the dance community in Malaysia informed the dance community in Jakarta that there had been um, someone who was in Jakarta and participated in a few several dance events here and then went home, went back to Malaysia and was confirmed with COVID-19 in Malaysia about a week and a half later. So that, that it's just a way to, to confirm that both my sister and I were in the same room. A big, a big, uh, it was a big restaurant where there was this social dance event uh, with that person. Yeah. So then my sister informed the doctor about this, uh, event um, a week and a half before she was at the hospital and the doctor immediately acted seriously like um, he coordinated with the government run um, hospital um, to how do you say to transfer my sister and my mother to that hospital which is where then they got the, the swap test and that was it and then the next day um, the president around noon on March 2nd announced that um, we have to confirm two uh, for the first two confirmed coronavirus patients, and that was my mom, my mom and my sister. Uh, it was really uh, how do you say like I think it it would have been a normal 
uh, a rather normal um, news had it had we heard first of all by the doctors who were taking care of my mother and my sister um, but later on um, the provincial government re- leaked our identity and the address of our home so within about an hour journalists were hovering at our house um, wanting to cover this breaking news so that was what made like our our world just turned upside down and we were handling a lot of stress and coordination uh, because they, my mother and my sister were the first two cases. And so the health departments of the provincial health department and the Jakarta health department and the federal <laughs> ministry of health also were in contact with me actually specifically because they were trying to figure out where I was and that I needed also to be taken to the hospital to get the swab test as well. Um, yeah. So it all went from there. Wow. That's a quite, quite yeah, <laughs> a full story here. And um, <laughs> so it seems like it was a provincial the media, like not the main, but like, it, no, I, no, it was not the federal, not the main media nor the federal government. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, I remember in the article, it was, you know, obviously it must have been horrible for, you know, your, your, you and your family with so, the way the social media is these days. And I don't know if you're comfortable sharing kind of how that felt or what was happening or with your personal lives at that time. Or, or... Yeah, well, actually, what made it worse um, was that there were pictures of, of me and my mother and then also my sister going around on WhatsApp groups. I don't know if you're familiar, but WhatsApp groups is a super tool of communication within Indonesians, within mm-hmm. Indonesian people. Um, so suddenly that day there was pictures going around. Uh, they, they mistaken me for my sister and this picture was blasted all over everybody's whatsapp group so all my friends from decades ago you know uh received this this message saying this is like it was something that said this is the first two COVID-19 patients of Indonesia blah 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 you know we're not we, we didn't really get a hold of what they were saying but there was also another picture of my sister um somebody actually took her profile picture on her whatsapp a while ago and she was performing a Brazilian uh, dance performance, meaning that, you know, they, uh, what is that, those costumes called? I can't remember now, but it's rather revealing for the standard mm-hmm. of Indonesian culture. So they, somebody blasted that picture with some language um, insinuating that this is the um, the first COVID-19 patient along with her mother and they are both hired dancers who often dance with foreigners, you know, like this yeah. kind of slurring language. Yes, and this went all over Indonesia, I'm sure. And, you know, later on we hear about it from our friends or from our family and they all, you know, immediately defended us like this is not right that you do this, you know, things like this happen outside of our knowledge. Uh, but of course we received that, that capture picture and with the, with the, with the, with the slurring language, like it came back to us. So that's what made it 
made everything worse. Yeah, I can imagine that might be even worse than the actual virus or the the hospitalization. Yeah, yeah, because um, like as soon as my mother and my sister were uh, transferred to the um, the government run hospital that is designated to take care of COVID nineteen, um, their clinical condition was actually improving already. They were already on their way to recovery. Um, my sister's cough was much uh, better already, but then as soon as all this came down, it really hit her um, mentally and emotionally. I mean, of course, first of all, that she felt really um, she felt a, a big level of guilt because she thought, you know, she was labeled as the number one patient, and it's as if she is the one who brought the virus yeah. to Indonesia and then infected my mother, and then later on me as well. Um, but that's not that's not how it is actually. And so, on top of feeling the guilt, then she also felt really stressed out that she feels her identity and her profession was attacked as being dancers. And I mean, I think this is this has a lot to do with our social cultural um background and history of Indonesian society I mean we keep thinking that if we were men that the backlash from netizen and from the, the public would not be this way and then on top of it they they are attacking like the stigma came to us people who are saying dance is a is a sin and dancing is a foreign culture which you all brought to Indonesia that's why you became sick. Um, and then uh, it, dance is a sin because you are touching each other's bodies. This is not Indonesian culture. You are all satanic women. For example, you know, we receive these yeah, horrible. messages. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your question? No, I think I lost it. I don't know. Um, if I you know, I guess, <laughs> you know the getting through this and of course just the medical part was seems like it wasn't as so, so as bad as this whole me- media or this uh, no yeah of, of course we had the fear you know like we had the the fear of the unknown about this covid-19 disease and the coronavirus because obviously it's something that yeah, even you know the medical sector is still researching and every day back then there was even until today, right? There are still new developments, new things that they are learning about it, and then there's no vaccine yet. So there was also that fear. But I think had we not been also attacked by these other aspects, the stigmatizing and the, um, yeah, the social media attack, I don't think it, I don't think the stress would have been that as high as what how what we had. Okay. So I have the date March second is I guess when it when this started. How how, did, how long was you know what kind of like what's the time frame we're talking about for I guess the recovery maybe this public response was it like a while how long did this all yeah seem to go for so yeah March second was when everything happened and then March fourth I was then isolated as well. And then my sister and I were discharged from the hospital on March 13th. And then my mother was in discharge on March 16th. Um, And 
we we were invited by the the ministry of health to do a like a some kind of like a press conference um we didn't know to what extent that would have done but after we did that we were we were given a chance for each of us to to speak to the public and the media um and we chose to do you know to send positive news positive um how do you say yeah just a positive attitude yeah. towards the covid-19 yeah. yeah and then I, yeah maybe you you've heard about that too and then after that the second wave came <laughs> because then these people who they didn't believe that we were actually sick and they yeah. they accused us of being um jokowis and the sitting cabinet's tool for political campaign so so like that we were politicized mm. and they us of getting paid by the government for doing this that it was a setup <laughs> that we were all hired actresses how much money you know did we receive that we were the the president's horse i'm sorry our prostitutes um yeah so all all of that happened and and they a lot of people blame me and my sister on our social media for everything that happened in their life for their wedding being canceled for them being you know not having a, a job for yeah. corona to reach indonesia um for yeah for bringing the virus to the whole of indonesia and i, I didn't i was not aware um because i was abroad but i was not aware that there had been a message by somebody from the the minister of health or people in the government body saying that the corona will never reach indonesia you know these is kind of language so that we took the backlash because of that attitude mm-hmm. that happened before yeah i even i have friends in indonesia and they also said oh it's not hit us yet i remember it's like it seemed like yeah january february people were just saying it's it's not uh it's not here. It's we're safe. Uh, friends there, yeah. and um, but it seems like all over the world, people are reacting similarly. I would say I don't know if you would agree. I think this is just probably happened to similar people to as you. You think in that situation in different lo- locations, maybe or uh, even in the case of Indonesia, that there are other people. Actually, oh, I mean, like maybe somebody in Canada or Italy or Spain, maybe if they were identified as the first. Do you, I wonder if they went through similar. I'm not sure. Oh, oh I think, yeah. Um, I guess I, probably, I maybe, but I don't know if you <laughs> well, The thing is, when, when this whole attack happened and we were in the isolation rooms um, in the hospital, um, because i okay we were all angry and we were all upset and confused and also fearful mm-hmm. the three of us and and in that extent also my my family my father his wife you know my uncle my aunt my cousins uh we were all so confused with what's going on because immediately um some friends of ours were saying that we might be politicized by any side of the government we don't know who you know is this these are just hearsays, um, but uh, of course we were confused. Like, how how could it be us? You know, like Indonesia is the fourth biggest, most populated country. Um, 
like it's a huge nation and why mm -hmm. how did it how did it happen to us yes yeah, everybody yeah this is what we kept thinking i guess the worst yeah is you guys were identified i don't know if other, exactly, other countries exactly. identified I, didn't, I don't know that in any other country that yeah it, i can't think of else. yeah <laughs> Yeah, and so when when this backlash and the attacks by the netizen happened, I clearly saw the impact to my, my sister, that her health condition became worse, her cough became worse, and all of our, actually our blood tensions were so high. Have, we have never had it that high in our entire life because usually we have low blood pressure, the three of us. Um, and so I felt like, okay, it's not helping anyone if if i'm i'm just angry and upset and expressing you know my anger in towards my or within my family because i was um like i said i had the least symptoms and by the time i was isolated i felt like i was a healthy person but staying at the hospital um so I was a, a carrier of the virus, but I, I, I no longer have the symptoms. So I decided to do a, like something like a positive campaign through my Instagram account. Yeah, awesome. Before this, yeah, I was really non-active Instagram account. I've never even created Instagram stories before, uh, but because I was just so sick of the, of the distorted media reporting incorrectly about us and our situation and then on top of it the um, just strangers thinking and judging us thinking like they know us so i started a positive campaign basically just to report to my followers who are mainly my family and friends at the time how we were doing and what's actually we are doing being uh during our isolation because the word isolation is also um it's rather a scary word right like you think someone who's isolated at the hospital is someone who is just laying there like um who can no longer do anything you know almost near near death or some something like this right so i was like i wanted to just send a message that it's not like that actually like isolation is not as bad as people think and and i was always updating our clinical conditions also but somehow that went viral because my friends then started sharing to their friends and then you know it's like a domino effect and then i started getting responses from people i don't know encouraging me to keep telling uh and updating our stories through instagram because they feel like um they needed the positive message and the encouraging message that we can recover from COVID-19, that this is really not, not a, as deadly as people think. So um, after a while, just to, to answer your question, uh, as you know, we've, we've also received a lot of requests by the media uh, for interviews. And um, the whole time when the, when the negative comments took place, I encourage my sister to not respond, um, but just keep the positive level, you know, as high as we could and to not give them more power over us, right? And yeah. but one day we were interviewed by um, a media covering Southeast Asia, or I mean the whole of Asia, 
and I asked the reporter, re, the reporter, I, I, we used to, at the beginning, we used to always tell people, we do not want to talk about the stigma and the backlash from the netizen because of that reason. We don't want to give them the power and the energy and the time to talk about them. Um, and we want to keep, you know, sending the positive news and encouraging all levels of the society that's handling the COVID-19. And then that day we were interviewed by, by this woman um, and, I, and, and I asked her, well, actually, you know, this stigma has been happening really badly towards us. Uh, and I was just curious, like, because since she covered, you know, Malaysia, Vietnam and other Asian countries, have you, have you heard or have you seen the same thing happening to us? Uh, happens also to other COVID-19 patients in all the other Asian countries. And she was like, no, I'm completely like my, she was like, my mind is like she she cannot even comprehend why this is happening only in Indonesia. Yeah, I'm thinking similar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you're in Hong Kong. You probably have also heard other stories. Yeah. yeah technically, I'm in China today, but I'm in. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, it's, I know it. I have a Hong Kong number, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard of other cases, but I haven't heard such a horrible like medicine attack on the individuals. It seems. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just also not come across that. Seems horrible. Yeah. I already have to deal with being, you know, tr- going through this horrible uh, experience and medical treatments and whatever is involved, and also to have your personal life invaded with random people venting to you about their weddings and jobs. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny in a way. Um, so after that. I, I suggested to my family, you know, hey, actually, we actually should talk about this because this is an unusual phenomena. Like, why? We should be asking this question, like, why? Um, and so, yeah. So then after that, we, we started being more comfortable. Just, I mean, it is our truth anyway. So we talk about it. Like, I am talking with you yeah, right so now. I'm glad you agreed to, to share with us and our listeners. Yeah. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm really happy. One, you're, of course, open to sharing with us and others and and using this to inspire people and encourage people which is also really why i was happy to reach out to to you and what what are some encouragement i mean i don't know i i don't know how it is in indonesia but even in china hong kong i mean us like everybody's still locked down we're in mid may right almost getting into june it'll probably be june when the show goes live so i don't know like seems like the rest of the i feel like rest of this year we might be in a similar type so yeah, what have you been kind of telling people around to mindsets or, or ways to deal with this? Yeah, so what the the message I've developed from all my experiences in the past in yeah in these past two months is that um, in times of hardship we can decide to think and act positively or negatively, and then from then from there you can you know figure out what to do. And I I. I always I do my best to you know choose having a positive mindset and attitude because that's the only way we can control our you know our we can only control our reactions towards what life throws at us and so I hope that people will also 
you know, think, uh, choose to have a positive mindset and attitude towards this hard time that everybody is going through. And I always try to remind myself that we're all on the same boat, like we're all going through this together and not only nationally, but also globally. And also um, that I also believe that somehow the universe is telling us to have this little pause you know i call it little because we have such a you know our life is long and at this time we've been forced to take a break and to pause and you know to work from home to stay home and try to have distance because by having it's really weird because by having distance we we save ourselves and people we love um and that hopefully at the end of this you know the the nature will be healthier and we have a better relationship as well with with the nature and our surrounding um, and yeah, have that light at the end of the tunnel. I guess I was, (laughs) I like it, but I was also, I also, I forgot to add the, the positive mindset and attitude is, I think it's specific to the condition in Indonesia because there's so much, so many hoax news going around and fear mongering about what this disease is. And lots of people in Indonesia might not have the same access to to knowledge and to data as other people, you know, because mm-hmm. of our education and economical gap. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's why I think this positivity mindset uh, message messaging is super important. Awesome. Yeah, that's really important. Uh, I think not just Indonesia, but everywhere needs that. I mean, some people just in their own bubbles on social media and their own friends, they only hear what, they want to hear or what's in their close circle of somewhat yeah like fake or not true or at least yeah yeah. (laughs) i hope it yeah i mean i'm sure you're doing great i hope it hope you can reach even more people hope we can help you here too okay this has been fascinating i i think it's uh it's great maybe uh just the last way if if there's uh we could link to your instagram if you like or any kind of websites or things that people could uh read I'll, I'll link to the south china morning post article i i found you with uh for people to read this story um uh-huh. if there's anything uh, that's yeah i mean i mainly more uh, i'm mostly active on my instagram these days i have uh i so my id yeah it's like at ratrian india and then i'm also on facebook but i'm i haven't been really updating anything there um mostly on Instagram so people can find me there perfect easily yeah, we'll up on the on the show notes in the blog all right Rajri thank you so much for your thank time you. and I know you're so busy I appreciate this a lot <laughs> no worries it was nice to meet you and nice yeah, you thanks too. for chatting with me as well loadpipe.com has been going on for over a couple of months now thank you for those that have supported and worked up some of the bumps in the road with us on the sourcing of the masks and the PPE all this COVID nightmare we are working on going into an open beta you can check out some of the products and we are working on regularly giving you factory direct and special opportunities to buy products from China and hopefully other parts of the world too but we're here in China directly thank you and appreciate your support in advance thank you Ratri really appreciate she's really brave you know she did that and she's been putting herself out there and 
Hopefully things seem to have died down with the personal attacks to her and her family on social media. I mean, that, that I can't imagine. You're already trying to deal with this catastrophe in your life and your family. And she's, you know, supposed to be in Europe and she's stuck here and go through all that. So she seems like a, she was already a strong person, but she seems like she's even a stronger willed person. And I wish her the best in the future. So I said in the intro, I would share my experiences. You know, I've, I just had an interesting call with uh, a friend in Seattle. He's like, Oh, how's China? You know, I, we're all going crazy here in the U.S., just stuck in our house. He's just got to get out of here. What happens once people start getting out? And I, I shared on my video blog at mikesblog.com if you want to see my videos, more personal stuff. But what happened was, you know, people stop wearing masks, honestly. Uh, but, you know, the most annoying thing is the scanning. I got to scan my QR on my WeChat to enter a mall to enter taxis, to, uh, you know, this whole big data. I mean, China really has everything. Oh, and last week's show got deleted on China Internet. Didn't like that national security law. I guess I would have expected that. I hope they don't delete this one. I don't, I don't know. I don't think this one's bad. But, eh, yeah, I mean, that's... And then nobody nobody here, I'm, you know, I'm the only foreigner, so all the, all the Chinese people just feel like it's it's fine to just give up your identity or location or your, your, your history because it's the government protects you uh, and sure I, I do understand there's positive intentions but at the same time maybe it's the American in me but you know they you know maybe it's too many of those action movies but they could take information and use it against you and then how do you even know you know if it's uh, I don't know how do you even know prove anything right they could just say oh we found this on you and it's just a tough one but let's uh let's you know say for me i've been you know i rented a new apartment might have said it some previous episodes but i'm in a six-month contract here in shenyang china dongbei north east north of china until the middle of november but you know rent's two thousand rmb so that's that's uh, nothing really and you know, grinding away at load pipe, grinding away with our content team. You know, we're doing some great projects with some other people doing their websites and their content, building out our own site websites. Of course, this content and uh, just enjoy creating. So I'm basically just grinding away. I feel like I'm still in a quarantine, even though I'm not. I I uh, might have mentioned, you know, I have my our apartment finally I moved out of the in-laws I was staying on a sofa for like over a month maybe a month and a half and I uh, finally couldn't take it because I don't think we're going back to Thailand this year so we just decided to rent an apartment in that same complex so you know I just literally came back from dinner with the uh, grandparents and left the kids with them to watch some tv and I, I came upstairs to our place to record this intro for you and this kind of what we do is morning grind I teach the kids in the afternoons and then after, you know, evening dinner and then I kind of do some do some more content like this and some other updates. So it's been, uh, uh, we, you know, I think all of us, it's been what a crazy year. Just let that sink in if you're still hanging out with me here in this interview, this recording. 
Yeah, let's just think about that. I, not, I don't know. Is it this year or is it this decade? You know, we had Lawrence Brom talk about it. You know, are we going to Shambhala, Shangri-La? It's just like a whole new like change of the world. I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it up to you to think about. Put a couple of dramatic pauses in this one, but let's really just reflect on who we are. You know. All right. See you next week. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.